You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker of GoVols247 as well, and former Tennessee pitcher and two-way player Will Heflin, discussing Tennessee baseball here on a Thursday edition of the podcast following two midweek wins for the Vols. Tennessee beats UNC Asheville 3-2 on Tuesday and then responds with a 16-0 Run rule win over ETSU in seven innings. Plenty of offense, plenty to discuss, and we will certainly do that. And uh, quite frankly, I'm just going to turn it over to uh, Mr. Heflin and Mr. Rucker so that they can brag about how Tony Vitello listened to them and placed Christian Moore as a leadoff hitter in game two, the game in which Tennessee scored 16 runs, not three runs. Yeah, I mean, it was a team effort, really. I can't, I can't sit here and say that any one person deserves credit for it. I can say one person does not deserve credit for it, and that is Ben because he hated the idea. So everyone else pretty much was in agreement. Uh, we have a little cabal here. It's me. It's Will. It's it's Tony. And you know, it's a couple other people. And we talked about it, and we thought, you know what, this is the best course of action. And sixteen runs later, uh, we were we were proved correct. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not fully convinced that he heard the podcast or would have listened to us, quite frankly. Probably having heard me say that I would hit Christian Moore leadoff <laughs> would probably make him want to uh, not put Christian in leadoff spot. I'm just kidding. Um, we actually, you know, V and I had an interesting relationship. It was very, it was very straightforward and and professional you could say um i wouldn't say we were as tight as as some guys that he just had recruited and developed really um really tight relationships with but we were really close in our own regard and we would sit up in the office you know kind of 
preseason meetings or end of end of fall meetings. And um, one thing he brought up towards the end of my career, and he was like, I can see that you see things through a coach's lens. And he was right. Like I've always kind of seen things through through a coach's lens and tried to use that to help me as a player. But he told me he was like, and I, I think that's a good thing but I also want you to remember you're not a coach. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, point taken, point taken. I never, you know, I never said anything or overstepped. I just, I it was just, that's the way I carried myself, I guess. Um, so I took it as a compliment, but I also thought it was funny. He was like, Hey, I respect you and you're, you're smart, but it's my show. And I was like, yep, we're good. <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> uh, classic, classic Tony V, which Tony V also had a, classic Tony V moment in the post-game press conference last night, and we can touch on that before we get out of here, but uh, the the lineup seems to be the, the biggest topic of conversation. That's why I wanted to lead off with that particular subject here on the podcast, and uh, I I really liked the lineup yesterday. I mean, it, it got twisted into me hating the idea of Christian Moore leading off, and I believe I stated word for word that I didn't dislike the idea or think that it was a bad idea. It's just not my preference. Still not my preference. If I was writing out the lineup, I'd have Simo probably batting second um, and and somebody in front of him. Again, Tennessee doesn't have an ideal leadoff hitter. I, I think that's the, the biggest point to be made, and that's why Tennessee is searching for one, and a lot of different people have a lot of, of, of different opinions uh, but I, I did like yesterday's lineup. And, and something I failed to recognize when we had the discussion earlier this week is that, and something that I should have considered that I did not, and I had this thought while I was driving to the ballpark on Wednesday after the lineup came out, is that my whole point of not preferring Christian Moore in the leadoff spot is I want him to be in the middle of the lineup and have ample opportunities to drive in runs. And I, I know this New Age Analytics talks about get get the guy leading off your best hitter leading off so he can get the most at bats and and this and that i prefer not to have christian moore at the plate a guaranteed one time a game with nobody on base because after that it's kind of a crap shoot after that the batting order doesn't really matter a ton or or maybe as much energy as we put on it it's more about matchups and going right left right left or, or however you want to match it up uh from that point on maybe trying to get some guys protection uh, at the top of the lineup or, or whatever. I think that's more important than necessarily where they're lined up and, and kind of the age-old thinking that, that goes into it. So I, I prefer not to have Christian Moore guaranteed one plate appearance where nobody's going to be on base. And But the thing that I failed to consider earlier in the week when we had this discussion is that this lineup is so deep that even with SEMO leading off, your eight- and nine-hole hitters are going to – possibly be guys like Hunter Inslee and Dylan Dryling and, and guys who are going to be all, on base quite a bit. So aside from that literally leading off the game where nobody will be on base, more often than not, there's going to be people on base if CMO is the leadoff hitter, if they decide to go down that route consistently. Um, but Wes, I still don't necessarily prefer CMO in that leadoff spot. Again, I'd have him in the two-hole. Uh, but I, I do really like that lineup because you have Dryling and Inslee still in front of him, and I'm not sure that Dryling and Inslee will necessarily stick at eight and nine, uh, but that that's all the sample size we have to go off right now, so we're going to roll with that for the time being. If those guys are getting on base, then, again, is going to have ample opportunities aside from just simply leading off the game. Yeah, the reason that I 
said that I really wanted Christian Moore to be the leadoff hitter was, I mean, there's a few reasons. One, his OBP is usually the best on the team, if not the best on the team. So he's going to be on base pretty consistently, which is, you know, a huge job at that spot. And the other thing was I, a couple of things. I know that Vitello and I like this too, likes to go left, right, left, right, left, right, as much as possible for kind of late game matchups. And I know we live in an era with reverse splits and all these other things, but generally speaking, Left, right, left, right, left, right's good. And then you look at the available pieces that he has and you think, well, it sort of makes more sense with this team maybe to have a right-handed bat there. So if it's got to be a right-handed bat, then I would rather it be Christian Moore because at the end of the day, I think it was a few years ago when when uh, Joe Madden you know, tinkered with Rizzo in the leadoff spot and people were making jokes about it at the time, like, why are you doing this? And he said, because I – want him to have more bats than anybody else on the team <laughs> he's like don't don't make this so complicated guys i want him to hit more than anybody else does so uh, when it comes down to it the guy on this team who i would say i would like him to have more bats than anybody else is probably still christian moore might be billy amick by the end of the year but right now i think with his on-base percentage on top of it and his speed too and other things i just i really like the idea of more leadoff especially when you have so much depth that you're going to have guys on base for him anyway. Yeah, and the reality of of early season college baseball is that Tennessee is a part of 95-plus percent of the mid-300 teams that are trying to figure out what their best combination is. Maybe you've got a, a team out there who's got third-year starters who have always hit one, two, three, or something like that, but everybody's twink tinkering with their lineup at this time of the year and Vitello certainly no different probably does it more than others so I think we'll see Christian Moore probably hitting another few spots before it's mm-hmm. all said and done yep. um and I, I'm I'm just of the of the belief that it's it's kind of cool especially early to be almost contrarian like I would I would almost hit like Burke lead off in a midweek game or something just mm-hmm. to throw throw something at him to to mix it up and maybe change up his mindset a little bit or hit Billy Amick lead off and see what that does. Put Peebles in the two hole, put, you know, I, I like that he bounced, you know, Inslee from, from lead off to nine and obviously hit well in the nine hole, but he was hitting well in lead off too. So for me saying Christian Moore is a good lead off option is just saying that we've got a lot of options everywhere um, and I think Inslee is versatile enough to to hit anywhere else in the order too. Um, but I I like Inslee or Christian Moore in the leadoff at this point. I also like Dryling if you want to start left, right, left instead of um right, left, right. Like it it really doesn't matter to me. I'm of the belief that the more you tinker, the better it'll be. Um, because you'll you'll see what works and what doesn't work, kind of that A B A B testing model. Yeah, and there was no Absolutely. doubt. There was no doubt that he was going to make a change after three runs against Asheville. There was no doubt Vitello was not going to come to the park the next day and put the same names in order after three runs against Asheville. He just wasn't going to do it. He no. certainly did not. And again, Tennessee has so much depth to where these are very minimal, minor conversations. I don't really know the right word. Um, just nitpicking, I, I guess, is is the way to phrase it. Uh, to to me, there's not a big difference between Christian Moore hitting leadoff in two or three. It, it'd be a different conversation if all of a sudden he's in the seven or eight hole, right? Like the, the, it's not yeah, that type of situation. Different. No, it, right, and that's not happening. We're we're not talking about that type of difference. I mean, we're 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 nit nitpicking. I I thought the bigger topic of conversation wasn't that 
Simo was was hitting leadoff because he is a more than capable leadoff hitter, and and I think he he has the tools to be a great leadoff hitter if that's the route that they want to go. I thought the bigger point of conversation is Simo sliding over to second base and Dean Curley playing shortstop. And uh, I, of course, on Monday, not not only did I talk about I, I prefer not to have Simo in the leadoff spot, but also talked about how great Simo looked at shortstop over the weekend, and then he comes out in Tuesday's game against UNC Asheville, and there's like a player two that. He probably should have made, and then the next day to Wes's point about switching things up, I'm sure that played a role as well of of Simo moving over to second. And also, they've been wanting to get Dean Curley in the lineup. That the kid is a stud for a freshman. And Tony said a million times publicly in his post game interviews that they're really wanting to get him in there and, and get him an opportunity. And uh, Ariel's going to get his opportunities, I think, as well, uh, even if he is coming back a little later than Dean. But um, I, I still believe what I said on Monday about Christian Moore. I, I think he deserves more respect as a sh- as a defensive shortstop. But on the other hand, Wes, this team's ceiling, highest ceiling, is likely with Simo at second base and uh, one of the freshmen at, at shortstop. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Christian Moore is athletic enough to play anywhere on the field except maybe catcher. He's probably never done that in his life, but – the dude could play anywhere. Like he he could play anywhere. He could play shortstop. He could play third. He could play a lot of places. But I think he's be- better suited for second base. I just I, I don't. It's not the plays that he'll make a lot of the plays that he's supposed to make. He just switches off too much for my liking at shortstop. Like you don't want anybody to switch off ever. But there's just these moments where it's like. Are you really a thousand percent dialed in? And if you're a shortstop for a really good baseball team, you are mentally locked in, dialed in one thousand percent every pitch of every game. The pitchers want that out of you, the coaches want that out of you, your teammates expect that out of you. And I don't think I don't know if he can or can't do it. I just know that he hasn't done it yet. And that is can be problematic at that position. Like look at what happened. You know, an extreme example, but ETSU yesterday, if Billy Amick doesn't have a really great slide and breaks up that double play from happening, then there's like 11 runs Tennessee doesn't score in that inning. And it's like the tiniest little moment where a guy was still switched in, doing what he needed to do, going hard, and it made 11 runs happen. And defensively, your shortstop kind of has to have that same mindset all the time. Because any little play you don't make, and you're going to get more chances than anybody else, that could lead to something bad. And I just I just like the ability. I think this team's upside is so much greater when he's at second base because as great as he is, he just doesn't lock in for 100% of the time that I've, that I've seen anyway. And that can be an issue. I, I do want to point out, I'm not saying that you're saying he lacks baseball IQ. Because no, I don't no, I think, think that, I, that, I, I think switches off. Yes, I, I do think this season will prove to be a different version of Simo. Uh, I I think he has matured leaps and bounds, both individually off the field, and I think as a result of that, he is a more mature baseball player on the field. Because I, I guess it was what on Tuesday night. You'll have to help me remember what happened because there's been another baseball game in which they scored 16 runs and a basketball game, a hideous basketball game that was played 
since that point. And for basketball conversation, Wes and I will be back with a podcast on, on Friday uh, for that. Anybody looking for, for that content. Uh, but it, what I remember, Wes and, and Will, in that Tuesday game against UNC Asheville was the line drive that kind of got right past him, if I'm not mistaken. And it, and it looked like maybe he took his eye off. Mm-hmm. The ball at the last second. Trying to, he was trying. There was a double play in line, and he was glancing over to first base to see if he could, if he had the, if he was going to get the runner at first. When he caught the ball, if the guy, like where the guy right. was between first and second, he kind of glanced over and just kind of took his eye off the ball for a second. Is what it looked like. Right, and I, I don't recall another moment defensively for Simo in that game. Just a couple little plays to his left and his right. I think he maybe could have gotten a glove on or gotten to. Right, but yes. I but again I I think and again he I don't know that I'd bet on him being the long term shortstop because again I think if if Curly or Antigua play well enough I, I think they're going to be the shortstop uh, the the problem is Antigua by the time he comes back I mean he could have missed end up missing the first three to four weeks of the season all of non conference play potentially after missing a couple of weeks leading up to the opener and it and it's like for a true freshman how. How is he going to be able – how well will he be able to jump right in and, and have a productive impact? So that that is a huge question mark to consider going forward. I think Curly is more than capable. I, I think he has the personality, the vibe, the mindset, the ability to, to be a starting shortstop as a freshman in the SEC. Um, but, again, I, I do think we will see Christian be much more – consistent in terms of the switch being on rather than being off because I can also think of a play you mentioned the the Billy play breaking up a double play another play similar to that was it was one of the first runs Tennessee scored yesterday and I can't remember who was the runner it it was Dryling or Inslee but they were scoring from third and the outfielder was throwing it in from left field, I think it was. And it was a nice throw right on the money. And Simo was on deck, and he did a great job of recognizing that he needed to be behind the plate and telling whoever the base runner was which direction to slide. Mm-hmm. And he told him to slide to the base runner's right, slid to the right, and he missed the tag because of it. So, mm-hmm. and, and I thought he was pretty consistent opening weekend. So a small sample size, but I, I do think, Will, that we'll, we'll see a more – consistent Christian Moore in terms of being locked in and engaged consistently uh, because he has matured both on and off the field. Yeah, we will. And I thought Dean Curley looked fantastic last night. I mean, goodness gracious, that just makes the decision a lot easier if he's going to step in. I mean, they were talking on the broadcast about, you know, he's got the the size and just kind of looks the part, which is step number one. I mean, he's a very athletic and physical kid even mm-hmm. for especially for a freshman but it doesn't really look like a freshman body wise and then i know it's etsu but shoot we saw it with Asheville. we see it pretty much every midweek every team in the country has arms now with the, with the transfer portal and the junior college ranks so it's not it's not necessarily to say he's going to do that in the sec um but he definitely showed showed flashes that he's um you know, your first college game, you go yard, and I think he hit another ball that was off just off the top of the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, everything you needed to see there, you saw. So, I think um, I think you've got some options. And then I agree in terms of Antigua, like, that's so tough to miss that amount of time and step right in, especially with, you know, if he does get back in, in another couple weeks, like, you blink and you're in SEC play. And do you really want your – 
your second or third game as a college athlete being on the road in Tuscaloosa or something like that. Um, so I, for me, especially headed into this weekend, I think we'll see more Dean Curley. And if he kind of runs with it, then that's what it'll be. Um, but, you know, still some tinkering to go on. And I, I think Christian Moore would be fine there if we needed it. But um, if you've got Curley at short and Simo at second, I think that is a really good recipe offensively and defensively. Yeah, I, ben, yeah I, ben, I, I, I think there's three types of acceptable shortstops, right? There's the the kind that's more than acceptable. There's the great kind. He makes all the plays he should make, and it's the spectacular plays, right? And then you got the type who he's not going to make the spectacular plays, maybe because he doesn't have the range or the athleticism or the arm strength or whatever, but he makes every single play that's right in front of him, and he makes every play he's supposed to make. And then there's the guy who can make spectacular plays, but he occasionally kind of switches off a little bit or he, he he's not as consistent, but he'll make as many plays as he, you know, he, he'll make plays that he shouldn't, so it evens out. Like, it's hard to get one who does both things, but, like, you got to have one who does one or the other. And I think Curly at least looks like a guy who maybe could be the guy who makes the plays he's supposed to make. He's certainly going to play a lot. I think we'll put it perfectly. He's going to get opportunities – this weekend, I would expect for him to take it and run with it, given the level of competition, and and then we'll truly see what type of freshman year he can have as they get into SEC play. Um, but I, I I like that mix, and I, I do want to highlight not just because Tony Vitello threw a shot, but the the difference. I mean, it, it's night and day difference in, in terms of leadership and chemistry and camaraderie however you want to describe it night and day different at the beginning of this season compared to last season this time last year I mean it felt like you were walking on glass watching this baseball team it was just not a it was not a fun team to watch whatsoever and this year's team I do think it has more talent in the field particularly and more depth up and down the lineup but they just look like they're having so much more fun than, than they were this time a, a, a year ago. And it, it's a reflect reflection of the leadership difference, quite frankly. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I hate saying that because guys like Jared Dickey and Griffin Merritt and, and some others that I'm leaving off unintentionally, that they don't deserve to be lumped into that group. But, I mean, Tony's comment last night was very telling when he was asked about Christian Moore sliding over to second after playing shortstop. And, and he, I'm paraphrasing, but... Tony said that Christian doesn't care where he's playing in the field, doesn't care where he's hitting in the lineup. He just wants to win. And he has really developed into a great leader. So whereas last year I would have conversations with pitchers and I would say, hey, we're going to throw you on this day. And the pitcher would say, no, I'm not doing that. And that was very clearly and obvious who he was discussing when he made that comment. He was referring I to – I think there might have been two he was referring to there. Yes, there there were a couple there that, that he was referring to, but the the one being the obvious one. So I, I don't really want to get I don't at all want to get into a Chase Burns conversation. Um, I, I can certainly understand why Tony said what he said, given all the commentary coming out of Winston Salem, unprovoked and and taking shots, even if they're not saying. I mean, what Wake Forest has been doing has been taking shots at Tennessee indirectly or just straight <laughs> straight yeah, up and, and taking to, shots. tony was gonna let it all slide too he had had a comment at the transfer time being like listen chase did a lot of good things for us we wish him well 
and he was going to let that be that. Yep, he was. He I mean, ta- Tony has taken the high road up until that that taking the high road publicly up until that last comment last night. And I don't even think last night's comment was bad or anything. And I don't blame Tony for saying what he said because Wake Forest and and a lot of people are are trying to push their own narrative that quite frankly is false. By all accounts, yeah, it is. It sure seems to be. I mean, it, it's. I think he he was gonna let it slide, and now I'm interested to see if it continues or if it doesn't. Because I'm still of the opinion that if Wake Forest is gonna keep doing this, Vitello could just come out publicly and say, "I don't know why they're doing this. Like, we wish Chase well. We, you know, we've we've moved on from this. You know, wish him well. I don't know. I don't know why." this whole narrative talk is out here. Like, you know, he helped us get to Omaha. Thank you, Chase. Like, let's go on. Like, I, I just, it's that, that I would rather do that than like, well, of course, Tony's going to be Tony, right. And say little things here and there and make you decode it. And, you know, but I, I think it might be better if they, if Wake Forest keeps this up just to say, Hey man, we buried this a long time ago. Like if they want to live in the past, they can, we're, we're beyond this. Yeah. Yeah. But Tony's not going to forget a darn thing Mm-mm. ever. Um, and so he may, he may take the high road, but he's going to, he's going to get his jabs in. And, you know, for me, it's like, it's their problem now. I mean, why don't y'all worry about UNC Greensboro? You know, it's like the guy, the guy's an electric, an electric arm, but obviously that's not everything, especially in this sport. There's so much more that goes into it and he's their problem now. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if they won the whole thing, but it also wouldn't surprise me at all if they really struggled down the stretch because they lost a lot. And I know they're ranked number one right now, but hadn't really looked it. Um, and I know it's early. A lot of teams haven't looked their full potential, but shoot, man, I I, I wouldn't be scared to play Wake Forest at all uh, on down the road. I think it would be an awesome matchup and I'm all here for the drama, but Ben, you're right. You're right. In terms of the feel of watching this team and um, just the way they, you know, the staff is so big on the environment in the dugout and you can hear it even through the flow baseball uh, broadcast. It was, it, it was a good party in the dugout all weekend. And it seemed like a good party, um, especially yesterday in the midweek game. So I, I, there's just so much more that goes into it than how fast you can throw and how hard your slider spins. Like Andrew Lindsay was not the best pitcher on the staff last year, but he was the Friday guy. Because it's so much more than stuff that goes into to being a Friday guy in the SEC. And, like, I always go back to Chad Dallas, but, like, he was perfect in terms of personality. He was a bulldog on the mound, and nobody disliked the guy in the locker room. And he, he was an impossible guy to dislike. And from what I saw, Andrew Lindsay was the same way. And seems like A.J. Russell and Drew Beamer that way as well. It just It just seems like a good party. And I think all of the – all of the excitement around the baseball team this year is is warranted because it's like they've got so much going for them in the right direction without all of the, the distractions that seem to be there last year. So, you know, like I said, they um they wanna they wanna be petty with it, then Tony Vitello is more than capable of being petty right back. But at the end of the day, like we don't give two craps what he does at Wake Forest. He is not on our team anymore. We wish him well, but we don't care. We we don't care. I really don't. We got our we got enough problems to worry about in the best conference in baseball. He didn't want to be in this conference. That's fine. I I think I, that they. I, think. You know, I probably know Tony the least of all. I mean, I, it's it's in, inarguable that I know Tony the least out of all the three people on this podcast. 
but even I can see, I mean, I know a little bit, but even I can see just looking at the guy day-to-day early this season compared to early last season, he's in a completely different sort of headspace. And it's not just because he had like a big old wealth on his face and everything. It's not just that. It's just that, you know, that, that, that he's, he's not, he's not like a little anxious ball of like, you know, just anxiety and rage and eggshells and everything else. He's just, he seems like he's being Tony right now. He does. And some of that was self-inflicted last year with the whole Maui stuff being suspended at the end of the year. That was their, their own doing. Uh, but on top of having to deal with the Maui drama and, and some early injuries, uh, th- there were some some frustrating characters on the roster to deal with as well and doesn't seem to have that this season, at least in terms of you know the, the top guys that, that you are counting on. So I, I'd be surprised if we hear another peep out of Wake Forest anytime soon. I think they've been served some humble pie this week. As uh, Will alluded to with with that loss to UNC Greensboro, um, but uh, again, I, I didn't really want to get into an in depth Chase Burns conversation, but hard to ignore uh, Tony's comments. And I more so just wanted to h- highlight that I, I think the leadership on this team and, and the chemistry is going to be really good for this bunch this season. And I thought Christian Moore sliding over to second base was a good example of that because he is he has the right to have an ego and, and he is egoless. And uh, kudos to him because I don't know that that was the case for him as a true freshman. That that is a, a really really cool story, and uh, he he certainly should be a fan favorite, uh, which I, I think that he is. Still plenty more to discuss here on the Diamond Balls podcast from Tennessee's pair of midweek games as it prepares for its first home weekend series of the season, and we will continue this conversation on the other side of this quick timeout. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I'm Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker and Will Heflin, former Tennessee pitcher Will Heflin and GoVols247's own Wes Rucker. Before we continue our conversation here on the podcast, would like to take would like to encourage you to take a moment out of your day to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcast. 
that would greatly help us out, and we would greatly appreciate it if you did that. I uh, need to talk pitching, Will, because the pitching has been phenomenal the last two days. The offense was very meh. It, it very much looked like the basketball team's offense in Missouri in that first half uh, against UNC Asheville. I, I chalked it up to, you know, it's, it's a weird travel schedule, flying back Monday afternoon. You, you're not used to doing that. A, a long weekend of baseball, late nights playing baseball. Um you know, all the emotions of, of opening weekend, uh, not an excuse, but to me that was the reason that the offense struggled in, in that Tuesday uh, midweek opener against UNC Asheville. Just didn't have the energy, and, and I thought it was a hangover effect, quite frankly, from, from opening weekend, but uh, there was no hangover effect on the mound. Uh, there, there were some guys uh, in, in that Asheville game, we'll start with the Asheville game, who really, really shined. Three guys who carried the baton, passed it to one another. Uh, Derek Schaefer, a touchy start there in the first inning, but really settled in. Uh, Binky comes in, and, and he looks really good. And then how about Austin Hunley? Looking like big big brother Sean Hunley there to close out the game in, in his first appearance as a Tennessee volunteer. Yeah, when, when Austin came in the game, the uh, the old head Tennessee baseball group chat started lighting up, and it was – it was deja vu, man. He pitches just like Sean. I mean, he just goes right after guys. It's hmm. not nine, 99 miles an hour, but they obviously didn't see it. The stuff was good. He just pounded the zone. I thought it was awesome. I was super happy to to see him make his Tennessee debut. But then um, I was impressed with, with Lefty. Is Binky, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Binky, he's funky. He's got he's got a weird timing mechanism that he does at the mm-hmm. bottom, and he's he's kind of got a a reared back arm slot. I liked his stuff. Um, think he's definitely a piece that you can use in in different spots throughout the year. Um, and then Schaefer, obviously, you know the the upside is certainly there for him, and it was good to see him make his first start and have success. But yeah, all three guys, uh, not your household names with Tennessee baseball yet, but kind of a glimpse into what the future might look like on the on the pitching staff and they um they they won the game like you said Ben the offense kind of kind of sleepy also part of that to me is just your home opener maybe trying to do too much like you're you're excited to be at home you want to get that first first homer in Lindsey Nelson after hearing your walk-up song like it's just it's just different it's easy to it's easy to kind of combine all that with the with the weekend and uh, you get a little bit of a sleepy result, but uh, the the three pitchers we saw on Tuesday, all in a different way, were re- really impressive. Yeah, you can get yourself in trouble in the midweek game if you're you know giving out free passes, if you're doing things like that. If if you just go out there for the most part, I'm not saying go serve up BP. Obviously, that's not you know the point, but you know go after guys, attack them, throw strikes make the plays you're supposed to make in the field, and you'll probably win most of those games. You're going to get bit occasionally because it happens to everybody, but you go out there and you throw strikes and you make plays on defense, you can go win those games 3-2 if you need to. Like, that's how that's what you can do. And uh, I think with maybe one or two exceptions this entire season, just the, the command of the pitching staff I think has been pretty solid for this time of the year. You know the the strikeout to walk ratio looks really good. They're just they're not hurting themselves, right? They're they're not 
they're not taking the ball out of their own hands, except maybe, you know, the Seacrest start on in, on Sunday was not was not great. But for the most part, guys are, are giving you something to think about, which is what you want to be doing this time of year, right? Like you, you maybe can't guarantee yourself a spot, but you can you can guarantee that you don't have a spot, you know, this time of year. And, and so you, you go out there and you keep yourself in the mix. You know, you throw strikes, put the ball where it's supposed to be, let the defense do its job. And Frank Anderson's going to like you. Absolutely. And looking at Wednesday's game against UNC Asheville, Matthew Dallas starts, and and it's just the overall theme of two things for me with his pitching staff currently. They are further ahead than I anticipated after Beeman Russell. What we've seen from Beeman Russell, I expected that. But in terms of all the question marks that we discussed and all the possible X factors, who's going to pitch where, that's still being sorted out. But in terms of the pitching staff as a whole, they are much further ahead than I anticipated. At this point, it's only five games, small sample size, and now two of the the five games are uh, against a lower competition, uh, and that will continue to be the case over the next uh, several weeks leading into SEC play outside of a midweek game here and there. Um, but the, the the pitching staff is just further ahead for me than, than I anticipated, particularly the bullpen. And part of that, my other big thought right now with the pitching staff is this young group of pitchers, that Tennessee has, it's going, it's going to be really, really special. Uh, Schaefer was really good. Hunley was really good. And then in in the Wednesday win over um, ETSU, Matthew Dallas looked tremendous on the mound yet again. And then Dylan Loy, man, he, he doesn't have the, the best stuff in the world, Will, but he just comes in and, and he pounds the strike zone. And I had somebody in the program tell me at the end of last season – when when I was asking about incoming freshmen and, and the pitchers and Loy's stats over at Pigeon Forge, I mean they just popped off the page at you. I mean they're mm-hmm. they're pretty ridiculous stats, but obviously not the the highest level of high school baseball ever. And so I, I asked kind of a, about that, and uh, the the answer was that he doesn't have the best stuff, but he might be the best pitcher coming in here because he just pitches at an elite level. And he just wins baseball games, and and he has really come on here the last couple of weeks. Yeah, he's a gamer, and I knew about him coming in just because he's from this area. Um, and the stats were absurd. I think he won like fifteen games, one high school season. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. ERA sub sub point five or something like that. Uh, he looked really good, but and it, it, nobody's going to overtake uh, Drew Beam on my fandom list. He's my favorite pitcher. Well noted. Um, but Matthew Dallas is going to climb the ladder. I love that guy. I think he has probably the highest ceiling, uh, not to discredit any of the other freshmen, but, you know, maybe I'm partial because he's a lefty, but he just looks electric and he could be your midweek starter, but I probably see him pitching mostly on the weekends this year. If, if I had to make a wager on it, I, I would say he's either going to be, that third starter or uh, one of the one of the top arms out of the bullpen. Yeah, I, I'm I I really enjoy the process. Like I can be a big process guy, right? I can appreciate the process, but it's hard not to be impatient with Matthew Dallas and just you, you kind of just want to hit the fast forward button a couple of years and just see what it looks like because 
that kid had the stuff that he has, the command that he has, despite being a freshman who's, you know, a number two pencil in terms of his size right now. He's six five and like twelve pounds. But like and he had to be shut down for a while with some shoulder stiffness. So you probably think that's a few ticks on the velo right now that, that he doesn't have right now. That's some the number of pitches that he could that, that he's, you know, gonna have to build back up to. But it's like you think about you know, a couple of years with Q, a couple of years of with Frank. And if that kid stays healthy, he's going off the board very, very early in the draft in two years, like very, very early. That is that kind of frame, that kind of stuff, that kind of mindset from the left side coming down to you from a different plane up there, like six, six or six, five, whatever he is up there. That is nasty, man. And his, they said he came in more mature than most freshmen do. You know, he kind of has that vibe about him. And, man, this kid's going to be throwing in the upper 90s and mixing three or four gross pitches before too long. I'm telling you, this kid, if he stays healthy, knock on wood, obviously. I just want to see what – it kind of reminds me a little bit of what, like, when I saw Jonas Adu as a freshman in basketball, and I was like, I can see what two years from now is going to look like if he just continues to work. I can just see what it's going to look like. I can, this kid has touch. He can pass the ball. He, he, you know, he, he's got, you know, pretty decent hands for a kid that age and that kind of awkward Gumby size. And I'm like, this guy, man, in a couple of years could really be something. And I just kind of want to get there with, with Dallas too. I just want to see what two years looks like. Well, you're only going to get two years. I believe he's draft eligible as a sophomore. Then I want to fast forward what- one year, not two years. Well, it, two years if you include this season, um, because it's what you got to be twenty-one at the time of the draft. Yeah, and when they moved it back, it makes more sophomores eligible now. Right, and I, and I think he uh, his birthday was May twenty-fourth, two thousand and four, which I believe. Well, then he would have been eligible either way. He's nineteen right now, right? If my quick math is correct, he'll be twenty and then twenty-one next year. Yeah. Yeah. So he he's a he's a two and done, uh, which probably played a role in why he made it to campus in the first place mm-hmm. um, because he was he was the second one that they were most worried about. They were most worried about Carson Rucker, as you can see why. Uh, he And the Ruckers had a firm number. They were content with coming to Tennessee, but uh, the Tigers gave him more than, than they were asking for, and, and he left, or they met his number, something along those lines. He got what he was looking for. And then uh, Dallas was the next one on the board that they were worried about. And uh, you're starting to see why early on. And uh, I've just been really surprised by how efficient he has been, given how much time he missed. Uh, Not only was it a a shoulder injury, not surgery, didn't mean to start to say that, shoulder injury that he was dealing with, but they had to rework his arm slot a little bit. It just wasn't working through an injury. It was working through an injury and tinkering the arm slot a little bit to prevent the shoulder from continuing to bother him. And, Will, I I can only imagine just how difficult of a process that would be to manage your arm through an injury while also trying to somewhat not change your arm slot but tinker with your arm slot and then come into the SEC as a true freshman, and yet he hasn't got into SEC play yet, but he's been, after missing all that time and tinkering with your arm slot, the way he's been efficient has just been – I've – been surprised quite frankly yeah it the injury part of it definitely more so than the than the arm slot just because 
I don't know about other guys, but I tinkered with mine all the time and, and made a pretty significant change one year and it actually helped me. So if it, if it helped him, then I think it would actually speed up his time to, to be comfortable and, and be efficient on the mound. But to, to miss time in the fall is tough, especially when it's your first year, you want to get in there and, and, you know, earn the respect of your teammates and your coaches, and you don't get to do that. And then you get an opportunity early in the year. It would be really easy to press and try way too hard, but he just gets up there and slings it because he knows he's got good stuff. And um, we could sit here and go on all day, but I'm with Wes. You're looking at a potential early draft pick. Um, and if the, if the body fills out a little bit and um, the, the velo takes a tick up, I don't want to, I don't want to put too much on the guy, but like it's kind of what happened to Garrett Crochet a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he came in, he was upper 80s. By the end of the fall, he was touching some nines, goes home for Christmas break. He comes back, he's low 90s. His first SEC start, we see a 93 at Ole Miss. We're like, wow, that's pretty good. By the end of that year, we saw some fours, comes back as a sophomore. We see some fives, some sixes. Next thing you know, he's a junior. Season gets shut down. He's training for the draft, and you see triple digits. And it's like it was just stair step. And obviously the guy's 6'6 and built like a horse. Um, so, you know, Matthew Dallas has a, a ways to go to to match that stature that, that Crochet had. But, um, you know, it's hard not to think of what could be when you see a big lefty with really good stuff. Yeah, don't yeah, skip, don't, don't, don't skip leg day. Don't skip leg day, young man. Keep keep doing leg day. Yeah, and, and, and make sure you get extra boxes at the um at the Smokey's Grill, the the athletic dining. Q <laughs> <laughs> you better I, never walk into the locker room without a snack. Q will make sure he is on top of that. Both the squatting and the eating, Q will not let that pass. That that it, make no mistake about that. Uh Wes, there there were three other pitchers who looked good as well on top of Dallas and Loy. Uh, Marcus Phillips came in and he shoved for an inning through 13 pitches. Eight were strikes, had a strikeout, didn't allow a hit or a walk. Uh, Braden Sharp made his debut, a freshman from Texas. After mm-hmm. that, he did give up one hit, uh, but that did not allow the run to score. And then J.J. Garcia closed it out in the seventh, seventh inning with a scoreless inning. One strikeout, 14 pitches, 10 were strikes. I don't anticipate Sharp or Garcia having a significant role on the staff this season. Uh they're midweek guys in my eyes right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Phillips, it, it's good to see him continue to have success because I, I think in order for Tennessee to to go win a championship this year, he, he's got to be a piece in that bullpen. Yeah, that's an explosive arm, man. That's a, I mean, a guy who, who will sit there, you know, around like 93, 94. But when he wants to, it can go 98 plus when he wants to. Uh, like if he really wants to, 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 to rear back and let one go, like it, it's, you know, it would not surprise me in the slightest if he hits a, a hundo before the end of the year at some point, like it's warm outside and he's kind of like, okay, here's a little bit of extra on it. Um, but the ball sort of just seems to kind of explode out of his hand a little bit. Um, that is when you think about the, there's, there's more than one way to do it, but when you think about the traditional power arm out of the pen, like, that's a guy right there. As long as he keeps throwing strikes, like if you've got a guy on the mound and it's the fifth or sixth and you're a little bit a little bit tired, you see the other team starting to get a little bit of life, just here's you some of this, you know. And I think that could really put out a fire quickly. So I really like that guy. I think he is 
Um, and you talk about like guys who don't skip leg day. He hadn't skipped leg day. That's six four two fifty. That's like a that's a defensive end almost. You know, out there throwing the ball. That's a he's not like uh, Kumar sized or anything. But like, that's a big dude now. That's a big dude. And um, he he's a guy who uh, I think is going to have a pretty nice future uh, in this game too. Yeah, we better make sure Hypel doesn't come looking for linebackers yeah. and Lindsey Nelson. He's he's built like a tank, but no, it just looks heavy. Like the the type of guy. Especially if it's cold and you get hit on the thumbs, like your hands are done for the day. Makes you want to quit baseball. Awful. Now, I would always choose to face a righty over a lefty as a left-handed hitter, but there's just some guys who you're like, I know I would not have a good at-bat off of him or at least not enjoy it, and Marcus Phillips is one of those guys. And being on our team, that's a good thing. That's a compliment. I want other hitters to not be in, in – to have enjoyable experiences when facing Marcus Phillips, but I'm I'm really high on him too, Wes. I think um, I think we really need to to see enough strikes mm-hmm. to have him in those in those leverage situations. But if he's one of those guys that gets better as he goes, um, then he could he could definitely be one of the, one of your main guys on the weekend uh, out of the bullpen, especially if it's to bridge, uh, like you said, maybe in the middle innings. Uh, other teams starting to get some momentum. Maybe you need a strikeout. Maybe you need a double play ball because it looks like he's got some good sync. Um, yeah, certainly, certainly another weapon to have out of there. Probably this year's version of Halverson, if I had to put a, a yeah. comparison on him. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think that's a, a good one. I was, I had the Joyce brothers in mind. Obviously, more Zach than Ben, but I, I like the Halverson comparison a ton i think that's a, a good one for sure well because there's something uh, about when a big dude there's someone a big dude comes out of the pen too like it's a little bit different right like i'm not saying like a billy wagner type can't come in there and just terrify you because he can but like when you see like a 250 pound hoss coming out of the pen and he goes up on the mound and he's kind of kicking the, the mound a little bit and he goes out there and starts warming up you feel it a little bit like the other team feels it they do they feel that kind of thing it's it's like to will's point it's a guy you don't want to see the last thing I do want to mention before we get out of here, the, the offense did what it was supposed to do against ETSU, so I didn't have really any big takeaways other than the whole Dean Curley and Christian Moore thing that we discussed. Uh, but Robin Villeneuve back in the lineup just keeps hitting, just keeps getting on base. Uh, but then uh, Hunter Inslee had a nice afternoon. I think we'll mention that earlier. He had an RBI double uh, and an RBI single. Uh, Christian Moore hit his first homer of the season, and it was just an absolute Kiss missile off the top of the batter's eye. Uh, Billy Amick, he got into another one, his third of the season. Uh, and then the, the coolest hit of the day was by far Colby Backus in his second career at bat, just launching a baseball for a three-run shot. And for, for him, being a Johnson City native, Wes, that, that had to have been a cool moment uh, against his hometown team in ETSU. Yeah, I was joking that the only bad part about it is we're going to get 10 times as many Colby Backus questions as we've gotten in the past two years, and that's been a tremendous amount of questions. And I get it because you look at his JUCO numbers and you look at his size and his frame and you go, um, play that guy, right? Like if, if you're an average fan, like you're going, wait, wait, wait. I saw what he did down the road in JUCO. And I see him barely fit through the door when he walks in. Put that guy out there. Give him some at-bats. And I think you're going to hear the course of that go up higher now. But, you know, I don't – They've just to be candid, they've got some better options, I think, in terms of everyday kind of at-bats at right now. But 
if he's going to go out there and continue, I mean, even in that, if it's his first at bat too, he hit one out of the yard, comfortably out of the yard, but foul um, down the left side, just absolutely, you know, touched it. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if he, he seems to have sort of made a better adjustment to the game and to the program at this level. And maybe he can be a guy who gives you something here and there. I mean, he looks like an SEC baseball player. He looks like one. He's always looked like one. And he's got the power. You saw him track down a couple of balls in the outfield, too, and it was like, well, he got a pretty good jump on that ball. Like, he couldn't make the play coming in um, that, that would have prevented the no-hitter, but he also got to a couple of balls really, really quickly that were nice plays. So, yeah, I mean, a guy who – I mean, if that, if you got like a sixth or seventh outfielder like that guy, you're you're in good shape, man. That's, that's a nice player. And to do that against his hometown team, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is, and shout-out – uh, Morristown, Walter State yep. was where he played his his JUCO ball. But yeah, like you said, uh, to be Tony Vitello right now, he's got a lot of options and a lot of decisions, and only typically one baseball game a day to to divvy up the amount of opportunity. But this this is what early in the years for man is you you have guys who come out of the woodworks that you didn't necessarily think were going to be. Uh, massive contributors headed into the season. Maybe we didn't talk about them on the pat on the podcast very much, and then they spring onto the scene. So maybe Bacchus is that guy, um, or maybe it's somebody else that we haven't even seen yet. Um, but you you just never know with with how injuries go and slumps that happen. Um, it's guys got to take advantage of their opportunities, and he certainly did that yesterday. So we'll see him again. And if he keeps doing that, then it's probably not going to be possible to leave him out of the lineup. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of like a good job, and uh, just go from there. I just can't speaking. Ima- go ahead, Ben. You go ahead because I'm about to change the topic. I was just gonna say I don't remember a time since Tony's been at Tennessee. I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it still kind of is a problem. There's some positions where he's got about three or so really good options, and everybody's kind of all you know hunky dory, like you know kumbaya right now, but like. There's going to be a lot of guys who deserve a lot of reps and things on this team, and that's going to be something, you know, maybe it'll work itself out. It does more often than not, but I just – I cannot imagine that since he's been in Tennessee, it's like one of those things that, like, you work and work and work to build an offense like this with program depth and all this stuff, and then you have it and you go, okay, now who do I play? Because there's some really tough decisions to make there. Speaking of tough decisions, I did forget that we need to discuss real quick the third starter for Sunday, Game 3 this weekend. Uh, Tony did say last night following the win over ETSU that uh, Game 1 and Game 2 are going to stay the same. A.J. Russell is going to start on Friday afternoon at 4.30 p.m. Eastern against Albany. Drew Beam will start on Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern against Albany, which will be a nice leadoff into Saturday night basketball between Tennessee and Texas A&M, a really, really important basketball game for the Vols. Uh, but Sunday, he is undecided. It, it is it is up in the air on what it what he is going to do, and, and I am very curious to see what he decides to do, Will. I'm glad that I don't have to make that decision, uh, but he did say after the game last night when I asked him about it, uh, when he said he was undecided on who to pitch Sunday, he said the way these guys threw the ball the last two days they actually changed our plans and made us more fresh going into the weekend. So there will be more options out of the bullpen and therefore will be a carry over for somebody to be more fresh and ready to go for Sunday. Who is your 
best guess as to who you think will get the ball on Sunday? Oh, you put me on the spot. I was about to say I'm not going to speculate. We'll just see how it plays <laughs> out. But now I feel like I have to give some sort of take. Um, I still think he runs Xander out there again. But if he doesn't, it's maybe Snead. That's exactly my thought, Wes. I, I really don't want to go three for three on this one, but my guess was going to be I think he should run Seacrest out there probably because you shouldn't – if you've spent an entire offseason in camp earning a job, I don't think one start should lose a job for you. So, But then the other flip side of that is I don't think that, you know, if he goes out there and shoves the next three weeks against, you know, not great opposition, then you go back and you're playing Bama and it looks like it did against – you know, Oklahoma, and it looks like he did last year in the tournament for him uh, against AM a little bit. I, then you have a so, so then it's like, okay, I see both sides of that. I really do. But if I had to guess, I think he probably will go Seacrest again. But uh, Sneed really would not surprise me. Uh, and then the third vote would be Dallas, but I don't think that'll happen just yet. I think Dallas uh, is the wild card because he threw on Wednesday. If, yes. if Dallas had thrown Tuesday, he might be my prediction for, for Sunday. But I think we go back to the whole coming back from the arm soreness thing, give him an extra day, start Schaefer Tuesday, start Dallas yeah. Wednesday. So that, that whole deal's got me messed up. Otherwise, I would I would be pleading um, my case for Matthew Dallas. But, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Matthew Dallas is that third guy going into Tuscaloosa, though, depending on how the next couple of weeks <laughs> shake out. Yeah. He's from Memphis, I, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, technically Arlington, but Arlington, Memphis. Memphis area. Yeah, those, Memphis, Maine. Those, those guys have, I mean, that's kind of a hodgepodge of like you've got Tennessee, you've got Mississippi, and you've got Bama, like all kind of somewhat close to Memphis. So there's, he's. I'm sure he's got some cousin or something who's a Bama fan, so maybe he can stick it to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe like Blake Tidwell, he grew up one uh, a fan, a Bama fan. I don't, I don't really know. You never really know, right? I mean, it happens. It happens. You know, he he, oh, he was a Bama fan who made a business decision, right? I mean, hey, well, you, you can't hate it what's in your favor. Tennessee has one of Tennessee's current starting pitchers grew up a Bama fan as well. Uh-huh. That being oh. AJ Russell. Yep. Because he's not from he he he's not from here. He uh he he lived all over the place. I have a story coming. Friday morning on AJ Russell, um, but he he's his family's from Huntsville, Alabama, and so his whole family is Alabama fans. And he moved he didn't he didn't move to Tennessee until he was a junior in high school. So he really only two years in Nashville and then now Knoxville. And he had some cool comments about how he now considers Tennessee home, and, and he's all about the orange. So be on the lookout for that story. But AJ Russell grew up a Bama fan because his his mom's from Huntsville. So you could say so, you could say he made a good bet in where he went to college. Yes, and speaking of bets, if anybody wants to make money off of Tony Vitello, slide in Will Heflin's DMs this weekend. He can give you some good odds uh, on on the college baseball market if if you need those odds in in your life. But for the rest of us, Wes and myself, we'll be back at Lindsey Nelson Stadium all weekend long. We'll also make our way over to Thompson Bowling Arena as well. Heflin, we hope you have a great weekend. I will. I'm be. I'm. I'm going to be rooting on um, Kentucky, unfortunately, in basketball to beat the aforementioned Crimson Tide to help Tennessee's regular season SEC championship run. 
Uh, but other than that, I'm going to be cheering for the Vols on the diamond and on the hardwood. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Pleasure, as always, speaking with you. And, you know, it's always fun to get a little bit of pettiness and drama into the pod. So I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I, I hope our listeners uh, appreciate us, you know, getting our jabs in as well as we try to dissect what Tony Vitello says under the hood. Yes, we, we continue to change that narrative whatever the narrative is. I don't know what the narrative is. Wake Forest doesn't know what the narrative is either, Wes, but we continue to change the narrative here on the Diamond Balls podcast. Yeah, and we're, we, we, we build Find that. Out. Yeah, we're we, we over here with our beakers uh, putting together this, the, this snide in our lab. Just trying to find out what the narrative is and how yeah. to change it. But I'd like are, to know what it is. I mean, I mean if, you were, if you were changing it, like what was it? What's it being changed to? Like, I know the correct narrative. I talked about it on Monday. I don't need to rehash that. I, I know what what the correct narrative is, but it's not the one that Wake Forest was trying to push. So actually, we need to change the narrative that Wake Forest is pushing. Wake Forest is telling everybody to change their narrative. Everybody else needs to change Wake Forest's narrative because their narrative is wrong. But then they deleted that tweet, so didn't they go Which back to the original narrative? That means the yes. narrative sort of stayed the same, right? All we will people that go to Wake Forest baseball games believe their narrative. Yeah. We're just out here setting attendance records against – Asheville. Okay, I'll say it before we go. I, I really, I, I wasn't going to say it, but now I'm going to say it. I hey. think Tennessee needs inside the complex at uh, over there at the stadium, where they have just like in there in the cages, just like Baseball. a sign, just like a sign on cardboard that says like Frank's pitching lab or Frank's pitching area, and it's just like a bucket of baseballs. That's that's what the, and it, it don't don't like broadcast that you're doing it. Just like take some pictures. Hey, we're getting some work in the cage today, and have that just in this like just on the side. So if someone really zooms in, some intrepid Vol Twitter member could see it and be like, oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. That's what I would do. Wes, I'm really glad that you got that final point in. Me too. Yeah, me too. Because you can't take those points to the grave with you. Nope. So I'm glad that sure you were can. able to get you it sure in can. there. Uh, as as we get on out of here, as Flo Sports <laughs> said about Tony Vitello's challenge on uh, in the final game, ninth inning of uh, the Baylor game, when he be, said you can't I'm take be watching with you. Wes's timeline all weekend, waiting for some, waiting for an opportunity to where he sees something and just pounces on it, full pettiness. And I can't wait. You know it's coming. He replies, it's, it's, it's always coming. It's just a matter it's of always time. Always a circus in in West Rutgers mentions and replies. I just cannot wait. And ninety percent of the things. Ninety percent of the things that are the worst things, I'd never tweet them. Like the ones that do make it to the. Imagine the ones that don't make it off the cutting room floor. They are rough. <laughs> Lord have mercy. All right, he's Wes Rucker. I'm Ben McKee. The other guys, Will Heflin, former Tennessee pitcher. This has been another edition of the Diamond Balls Podcast on GoBalls247.com. There's that button, and now I can say. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247 uh, where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think falls fans will find interesting. Uh, but if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that 
at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.